Uh, today we have Brother Chris Gullion uh, with us. Uh, Chris has come recommended by several people, the last being Daryl Stahl. <laughs> and uh, come on up, Brother Chris, and share what God has put on your heart. Uh, feel comfortable. We don't bite unless you throw a steak in front of us. And uh, other than that, it's all good. Thank you, my God. You too. All right, good morning. We can do better than that, can't we? Good morning. good morning. All right, that's better. All right. Good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Um, thank you, Brother Dale. Um, and thank you, James, and, and choir. I love, love that song, Give Me Jesus. What a great reminder we need in these days. Amen. We need Jesus. Um, and thank you, instrumentalists. Um, guys, you don't know how much of a blessing you have here. Um, you have a lot of talent, and that is hard to find in many churches today, folks. Um, there are a lot of churches that don't have just a piano player um, to play music, and, and it's such a blessing to see people up here using their gifts, using their talents for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to continue to do that and to build upon it. Um, train up that next generation that they can be ready to jump in there and, and, and take, take charge when some of us older ones begin to, to step aside and things. But uh, it's good to be here with you. Um, see a few faces. No, Brother Clinton and, and Miss Bethany. We knew them from First Baptist Church in Owenton. My family... We attended there for a few years, um, so it's good to see them. I love her father, Brother Brad Banks. He's the pastor there at Owenton. He does a marvelous job, a uh, great man of God. So uh, it's good to see him. It's good to see Daryl, as, as Brother Dale said. got Daryl here and Sean Bainham in the back and his wife. They're here from uh, work. I work at Boone County Schools as well, do heating and air for them. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, we attend Big Bone Baptist Church just a few miles down the road with Brother Mike Jones, if anybody knows him, knows that old rascal, that character there. But uh, he's, a, he's a good man. He preaches God's Word as well, and we're thankful to be there at, at Big Bone. But I have family with me, of course, my wife Heather. Um, she teaches at Gallatin County Elementary. She's been teaching, what, 24, 24 years now, so... Getting close to that 27, so uh, that's good news for her. I've got my daughter, Macy. Um, she is a, a college student, and she works at the Glencoe General. She's a manager there, uh, so she's busy. Um, and her friend, Lucas, beside her, he graduates this year from Owen County High School. And then my other daughter, Campbell, graduates this year. Uh, from Owen or from Owen from Gallatin County High School and her friend Aaron is beside her so uh, that's enough about us all right now listen as our preacher always says none of that counted against sermon time all right so uh, he always reminds us of that so I want to remind you of that this morning all right if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 just be ready there we'll get there momentarily the title of the message this morning is 
A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for the great opportunity to, of being in your house this morning, for the opportunity to stand before your people here at Bellevue Baptist Church and proclaim your word. What a great privilege that is. Lord, I thank you again. As I mentioned, the, the, the talents and the gifts that you have placed in the hands of, of the members here at this church, Lord, I pray they don't take that for granted. Lord, I pray that they continue to use that and, and to grow that. And uh, Lord, just use this church in a mighty way in this community of Bellevue. Lord, just help them to be a people that seek after your face, that seek after your word. Lord, there is a shortage of people, of Christians that are truly seeking you these days, that are truly seeking after the truth of your word. Lord, we see it all around us. We see it in our culture, that the way that our culture is going downhill. Lord, we need Christian people to stand strong. Lord, just be with me. Help me to proclaim your word. And I pray that your people's hearts are open, their minds are open to the, the preaching of your word. And Lord, that they will take in what they need to hear. And Lord, that you will convict hearts. And Lord, that you will do a work in hearts. If there is surgery that needs done, if there are things that need cut out of our lives to, 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 to help us to be better Christians, to help us to be um, have a, a closer walk with you, a closer relationship, Lord, I pray that you would remove those things this morning. Lord, again, just thank you for the great and awesome day that you've given us to be in your house. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, it's a sad thing to say, but many churches here in America are going down some paths, I believe, that are just simply sinful and dangerous. And at some point or another, if it hasn't already, your church, Bellevue Baptist Church, will most likely have to take some kind of stand against what is taking place in many churches throughout our country. Bellevue Baptist Church, to take a stand means that it will cost you something. It may cost you money. It may cost you members. It may cost you friendship. It may cost you persecution. It may cost you imprisonment and even more. For the Bible says, folks, that there is always a cost when you follow and stand for Jesus Christ. Amen? There's always a cost. It tells us that in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I want to read an article to you this morning from LifeSite News entitled, Episcopal Priest Named Head of Abortion Federation. Listen to what this article says. The National Abortion Federation, or NAF, has announced that it, its new president and CEO is Catherine Ragsdale, a lesbian Episcopal priest and longtime abortion activist. Abortion providers are some of my personal heroes and modern-day saints, Ragsdale said when the news was announced. She had been NAF's interim president and CEO since September 2018. In 2011, she married another female Episcopal priest, Mally Lloyd. 
It is unclear if they are still together. Ragsdale's bio on NAF's website makes no mention of Lloyd. For decades, Catherine Ragsdale, a false prophet, has been trying to put religious vestments on child killing. Frank, P Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life and President of the National Pro-Life Religious Council, told LifeSite News. She led the Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights, now the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, which actually provides rights of blessing for parents about to kill their children, and for the facilities in which the blood is shed. That group also provides scripture studies that attempt to say exactly the opposite of what scripture says about what God thinks of the shedding of innocent blood, explained Pavone. Pavone said it's not surprising that NAF chose Ragsdale to lead it. It actually reveals one of the greatest weaknesses of the abortion industry, Science is not on their side, logic is not on their side, and history is not on their side, he explained. They ran out of arguments a long time ago to try to justify abortion. So now all they have left is, is to disguise it in spirituality. They try in vain to take the stigma out of abortion, but that effort continues, and that is what this new development represents, he said. In an April 2019 speech at a Kentucky Reproductive Freedom Fund fundraiser, Ragsdale claimed that the Bible says nothing about abortion and that it's dishonest and manipulative to call the human and the baby a, uh, in the womb a baby. Now, folks, it's hard to figure out just where to begin with all that. Um, there are many things that are just biblically wrong in that article. But the problem is there are a growing number of churches that would not find any issue whatsoever with much of what I'm going to say is wrong in this article according to the Word of God. First of all, homosexuality is a sinful lifestyle. Secondly, a church member or a pastor that is living a homosexual lifestyle or supporting the homosexual agenda or any other lifestyle and will not repent should be removed from the church membership. Thirdly, homosexual marriage is wrong and God does not acknowledge it as marriage. Fourthly, women pastors according to God's Word are not biblical. Fifthly, the Bible does, does say that life begins at conception and it does speak about abortion. It just refers to it as what it truly is and that is murder. Sixthly, supporting abortion and or working for the abortion industry is wrong and sinful. A baby in the womb is a human life. So folks, what in the world is happening in churches in America today. How can God's people be accepting of, of any of these things that according to God's Word are unacceptable? Why are things like this and many other things growing more prevalent among the church? You know, just the other day I saw where a Methodist church was hiring a transgender man. 
a drag queen to teach their young children. Folks, why are things like this taking place? Because, listen to me, the church as a whole has become just like the church of Laodicea that you find in Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Listen to me, folks. Most of the church in America is a lukewarm church. But why? Why? Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and we will see, we will begin to see why by looking into the church at Corinth. All right, so follow along with me in the reading of God's Word, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, in such, for, in, in such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now why had things come to this point in Corinth? Why, why was the church tolerating sin that was among them? Verse 1 said that there was fornication that was found among them. In other words, there was sex outside of the bonds of marriage that was taking place. And even worse, it was between a man and his stepmother, which was something that it said that even the Gentiles would not tolerate. But obviously, the church at Corinth was. Now, we must remember something this morning. Satan hates God. Amen? Satan hates God. Satan hates his son. Satan hates his spirit. And Satan hates Jesus Christ's church. And folks, listen. He will do whatever it takes to destroy God's church and its influence in this world. And folks, if he can get inside and influence God's people to choose sin, listen, any kind of sin, over obedience to God, he will do just that. In the book of Acts, after a failed attempt to stop the growth of the early church from the outside with persecution, Satan then went on the inside. You remember that? In the book of Acts, chapters four, uh, verses 34 through chapter 5, verse 11, Satan went on the inside and he found two individuals that agreed to work with him. And those two individuals were Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody remember that story? Ananias and Sapphira bought some land, had some land, and they sold it. You remember, some of the members of the church, the early church were doing this. They were selling their possessions, selling their land and things so that they could give to the growing church. The church had needs and it needed to be supported. So many people were contributing by selling property so that the church could have what they need. So Ananias, say, they, I'm sure they looked around and they said, man, they're kind of getting some praise for this. They're, they're kind of receiving some glory, so let's, let's try this. And, and they sell off a piece of their land 
and they give the money to the church. But folks, did they give all the money to the church? No. The Bible says they kept some for themselves, but they still told the apostles, this is all the money. So folks, they lied. They lied, and the first sin among the church was born. And folks, just to show how much that God hates sin among His church, He took the lives of Ananias and Sapphira, the two that tolerated sin. Listen to me this morning. If you don't remember anything else from this message, remember this. God does not tolerate sin. Do you agree with that this morning? God does not tolerate sin. Listen, please do not consider His patience. Don't consider with His withholding of judgment as a sign of approval. He may be giving you time for confession and repentance, but folks, listen to me. He surely will judge sin. It may be now and it may be later, but folks, He will deal with it. So why was this sin being tolerated here in the church of God? Well, look at verse 2. It says there, it says that the people that ye are puffed up. The people were puffed up. The HCSB says it like this, ye are inflated with pride. That pride ruins a lot of people, doesn't it? The church was filled with pride. In other words, they thought that they knew better than God Himself. And how do we know this? Because it says again in verse 2 that the church of Corinth had not even been mourning for what was taking place among them. Folks, they saw no problem with what was taking place. It didn't cause them to mourn. It didn't cause them to think, man, what have we gotten ourselves into? What are we doing? It didn't upset them to have sin among them. They had not been filled with grief. They had not been weeping over their sins. So this tells me that they were not living according to God's Word. They were pridefully following their own lusts and false teachings. I want you to listen to what 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-4 through 4 says. If you would, turn there with me. Follow along. I think we comprehend and, and, and keep things in our mind a little better when we follow along. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1-4. through 4. Listen to what God's Word says. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You see, the church at Corinth was obviously not preaching against sin. 
Because people were living comfortably in that church with sin in their life. They were not proclaiming the Word of God. They were not standing on it. It said in season or out of season, whether it was convenient for them to do or whether it was not convenient. They were not rebuking or correcting sinful behavior. They were not encouraging obedience to God and His teaching. And therefore, as we just read, they were turning their ears from the truth and following fables. This is exactly what is taking place in churches all across America today. We have too many so-called Christians in churches that are following fables instead of the truth. It is said in an article by Bill Muhlenberg called when the church proudly embraces sin, that a half century ago, A.W. Tozer preached these words, This is the day of excusing sin instead of purging sin. An entire school of thought has developed to justifying sin within the church and trying to prove that sin is perfectly normal and therefore acceptable. Listen to me, anything listed in God's Word as a sin, you can take it to the bank. It is sin. Amen? I hope you truly believe that, folks. Anything listed in this book that God says is sin is sin. And if we don't stand on that, we will fall in the days ahead. We must take a stand for God's Word. Nothing can change God's Word. Nothing can change the fact that sin is sin. Not a preacher, not a college professor, not the culture, not a judge, not a therapist. God's Word is the truth and we must stand on God's truth no matter what the world or culture around us says. Listen, how can you keep this from happening here at Bellevue Baptist Church? How can you not become a church that is tolerant and accepting of sin? Listen, you and I may excuse sin. Your church body as a whole may, may excuse sin, but God does not excuse sin. It will be judged now or later. The first thing we need to do so that we are not proudly embracing, so that we are not accepting and tolerant of sin is this. We need to mourn over sin. We see that again as it said in verse 2. We need to mourn over our sin. The people of Corinth, it was no big deal to them. It didn't upset them a bit. When is the last time that you mourned over your or someone else's sin? Think about that. When's the last time sin in your life upsets you greatly? Sin in the, in the life of your church, in the life of a church member, upset you greatly. The word mourn we see here in verse 2 is the same word that is used when speaking about mourning over the dead. 
This is, this is probably the deepest and most painful kind of personal sorrow that a person can have. Has anyone lost a loved one in here? That's a painful time to go through, isn't it? The mourning of a, of a lost loved one. This is the same type of mourning we need to have when sin enters into our life. Warren Wiersbe says this about verse 2, Instead of mourning, the members of, of the church of Corinth were puffed up. They were boasting about how their church was so open-minded that even fornicators could be members in good standing. That is the way I believe many churches are headed if we don't watch out, we'll be the same way. Many churches are just are open-minded today. Because of the tone, tone of culture, many churches, many Christians are, are too afraid to speak up and to speak out for the truth of God's Word. We must be open-minded about the sins people are involved in, people say. We have to be open-minded about that. We can't judge people. That's their life. We can't judge them. Listen, the Bible's out of date. It's an old ancient book. It's not relative for today, right? Most of it's no longer in the, within the same context that we live today. Folks, our hearts should break because of sin that has infected a brother or sister's life, especially when we see that there is no sign of repentance. For they are now in danger of falling further away from God and deeper and deeper into sin. We should weep until they turn back to God. You see, the kind of sin which was incest that the church of Corinth was overlooking was even condemned in the Old Testament. And it was a sin that brought a hefty punishment. Listen to Leviticus 20 verse 11. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Folks, it was a serious thing. Paul says that it was so bad, again, that the Gentile law even prohibited. It condemned this kind of sin as well. Whenever one of us sins, there must be a time of mourning and there must be an attempt of restoration. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? What about it? Do you? I hope you do. Folks, when there is sin in the life of a brother and sister, it's no joke. We should love them enough to say, listen, brother, sis, I love you. I hate to see the way that you are going, the direction you're headed in. I love you. I want to help fix this with you. Are we concerned enough about people? Do we love each other enough to say, listen, I, I want to help you. I want to help you get out of this sinful way. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, who's the brethren? You and I, amen. Brethren, if you see a brother or sister that has been overtaken in a sin, in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Listen, don't go to him saying, listen, I know what you're doing. You better stop. It says go to him in meekness, love. Folks, that's a big problem with the church today. We don't love each other enough. We don't want to go and condemn someone and say, look, there's no hope for you. Love them. I love you. This is why I'm coming to you. Because there's better for you. God wants more for you. He goes on in verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Folks, why is this not taking places in churches today? I think it's truly because our churches are filled with carnal Christians. We live according to the flesh instead of living by the Spirit. And putting a stop to sin today is not really seen as something that is urgent or even necessary. In this case, it was the, the man, the father's son, that had brought sin into the church. For Paul, he did not address uh, or judge the father's wife, did he? or the son's stepmother, for she apparently was not a member of the church. So this offending brother was considered to be dead as far as the Lord was concerned. He was out of fellowship with the Lord and with those that were living separated lives unto the Lord. And just like a lost person that needs to be reconciled and restored into a fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, a saved, born-again believer that has fallen into sin needs to repent and to be restored into fellowship with God and His church. Now before we move on, we must assume that the steps were taken to restore this brother in the church. Our passage of Scripture here doesn't say anything about a restoration attempt, all right? We don't see that in this passage. But listen, Paul would have, have, would have never moved any further in the process of church discipline if it was not done in the correct way. And we know this because Paul is also the author of Galatians 6.1, remember, which I just read, which says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. So listen, there is no doubt that Paul would have seen to it that there was an attempt to restore this brother. Now, since we're not talking about uh, specifically about restoring a brother, we will not go deeper into that process, all right? You can read that, though, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, an important part of Scripture. Read that sometime later today. But keep in mind, this next step started in hopes that restoration could be accomplished. So what is the next step that needs to take, take place so that we are not proudly embracing, so that we are not accepting intolerance of sin in the church house today? The next step is this, we must judge the sin. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. 1 Corinthians 5 verses 3 through 5, For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ... 
to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now we as Christians are not to judge the motives of other Christians. That's a big subject today, isn't it? Judging. Don't judge me, right? You hear it all the time. Don't judge me. You have no right to do that. Listen to me. God's Word does expect you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be honest about each other's conduct. And that takes a judgment. In other words, we are to judge one another's works. We're to look at each other and judge one another's works. Listen to what 12 verses 12 and 13 says of of the same chapter, chapter 5. It says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? Paul's saying, why do I need to judge people outside the walls? That's not my concern. Let's deal with the people inside the church, right? That's what Paul's saying. But them that are without God judges, let God handle the ones outside the walls of the church house. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You know, having pastored a church, I didn't ever look forward to initiating church discipline. And I would venture to say that not many pastors care to do that as well. It's not a fun thing to have to do. But I want you to understand something, church. At times it is needed. At times it is needed. And folks, it is scriptural. And sadly, the church today has gotten away from this process. And I I truly believe that is why we see many churches in the shape and in the condition that they are in today because they are continually letting sin go on without anyone saying a word about it. Listen, we don't want to upset anyone, do we? We don't want to upset anyone. We don't want to take a chance on losing a member or maybe some some money that's coming in of being tithed. We don't want to upset people. And I believe it goes back to that last step of mourning over our sin. There's so much sin in people's lives that, that it's not even looked at as sin anymore. But I want to remind you, God's Word does not change. Amen. It is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. His Word will never change. And God's Word is not to be overlooked because of popular opinion or political correctness. Amen. But the longer that we ignore this doctrine, the more worldly the church is going to become. Therefore, the pastor in the church must obey God's Word and put aside personal feelings and do what is right. So the church must judge one another's works. We must. If we're going to keep the church pure and clean before the eyes of of God, we must judge the work in the church. We must judge according to God's standards. And if it is found to be sinful, then we must deal with it appropriately. In hopes. Why, folks? Why do we want to deal with it? In hopes that the offender can be restored into fellowship with the church. 
Folks, it's all about love. Do we care enough about each other to go and intervene in someone's life and help them come out of a sinful condition that they're in? But a public sin like this was at Corinth, folks, it must be judged and condemned publicly. Hopefully, though, this public judging and condemnation can be avoided. Hopefully, these kind of things can be avoided when you have a preacher and teachers that are publicly proclaiming what sin is. Amen? Hopefully, that's what you have within the church house is a pastor and teachers in Sunday school that aren't afraid to stand up and call sin, sin. That's what is needed in the church today. The very thing that so many are not doing. No, I remember seeing a, a, a clip of a, of a, of a vain, very famous pastor on the Larry King show proclaim to all the world, that's not my judge, not my, it's not my lane to speak on sin. One of the pastors of the biggest churches in, in, in America he says it's not his job to, ju- to, to speak about sin, folks. That is a problem within the church today, amen? When a pastor will not teach on sin. What Paul was describing here was an official church meeting where, where, the, where the offender was dealt with according to divine instruction. Paul was telling the people that this sin that was among them could no longer be swept under the rug, for it was known even among the people outside of the church, among unsaved people outside the church. And when this happens, folks, and the church does not biblically take care of the situation, the church's testimony, its influence in righteousness is greatly damaged. If you want this church to be destroyed, allow sin to fester inside the walls. It will quickly destroy itself. It will lose its testimony in this community. It will lose its influence in this community. And most of all, it will lose its righteousness in this community. As Paul explains here in verses 3 through 5, the church is to expel the offender. So what we now know has happened is this. A judgment has been made, the work has been deemed sinful, and an attempt has been made to restore the erring person, but they will not repent and accept restoration. So Paul uses strong words here. He says this person is to be taken away from among you in verse 2. And then in verse 5 he says, Deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You see, no matter how the world and even much of the church looks at it, church membership today is a serious thing and must not be treated carelessly or taken lightly. Why? Why is church membership serious? Why does it matter who we are letting inside these walls? Why does it matter about the sin that is being, uh, that is taking place within the walls of the church? 
Because this is God's church. Amen? This is God's church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's not the community's church. It belongs to God and He sets the membership standards and He sets the, the standards for acceptance and good standing. He sets the standards for holiness and for righteousness. God does, not me, not you. So listen, it is only right that if we as Christians choose to live in sin and not repent, which is always close to being an unbeliever, remember, that we should be put out of the church to live with the creator of sin, Satan. Now, what does it mean to, to deliver a Christian unto Satan? What is, what is Paul talking about? You see, just as God uses His people that do His works for His purposes, Satan uses those that do His work for the purpose of destruction. Amen? He uses people. If you allow Him, Satan will use your sin to destroy you and those around you, and God will allow him to do so. It does not mean that the church can deliver your soul to hell and your salvation has been voided because, listen, the church does not grant salvation, amen? And it cannot take salvation away either. Listen to what James Vernon McGee says about this topic. He says, Now I realize there is danger of our feelings and our emotions getting involved. And there is a danger of fanaticism to which some people are inclined. But in our churches today, we do have certain men and women who are hurting the cause of Christ. I believe we have the right to ask God to deliver them into the hands of Satan to be dealt with so that they won't hurt and harm the body of Christ. I pray that God will deliver certain men over to Satan to let him give them a good workout. It will, it will either bring them to God if they are true believers or it, will, or it will reveal the fact that they are not genuine believers at all. If they are Christians, then they will come out clear cut and come out clean for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we have a right to pray that prayer. You see, when an unrepentant believer is out of fellowship with God, and excommunicated from the local church, he is fair game for the enemy. But if he or she is a believer, this deliverance to Satan will only prove it out. So as rough as this discipline may sound, listen to me, it is the most loving thing to do for a brother or sister that has fallen into sin. Now, as I've already alluded to, the last step that needs to be taken so that we are not proudly embracing, so that we are not accepting and tolerant of sin is this. We must purge the sin. Look in verses 6 through 8 with me of chapter 5. 6 through 8, it says, Your glorying is not good. Now ye not, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? What does leaven do? When you put leaven in something, it, it rises. It spreads. So Paul's saying, don't you know that sin in the church spreads? It puffs people up. It brings pride. 
Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. These verses that we've just read are a picture of the Passover. The Jews in Egypt were delivered from death, which if you remember, was the last plague pronounced upon Egypt during the deliverance of God's people, Israel, from the bondage of the Egyptians. The Israelites were to place the blood of a lamb on the door place, on the top of the door and on the sides of their home. And when the death angel came through, only the firstborn Egyptians would then be killed. This again was an image of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to deliver us from the bondage of sin. But after the blood was applied to the doors, the Jewish families would, would then partake of what became known as the Passover Supper. And one of the requirements was that no yeast or, or leaven would be used or found anywhere in their homes during the Passover. The bread was to be unleavened. For leaven, as I said, was a picture of sin. Leaven is a small thing, but it is, it is powerful. It, it gets inside, it works secretly, it, it puffs up the dough and it spreads. This church member at Corinth was just like a piece of yeast. He was defiling the entire loaf of bread. He was defiling the entire congregation, the church. He was like a cancer that had to be removed by drastic surgery. As the church of a living God, listen, we must purge out sin. We must purge out the leaven. We must purge out our old way of life. Amen. The things that we did before we trusted Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Amen. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Folks, when we, when we are in Christ, we, we have a different lifestyle. We have different ways. We leave those old ways behind and we press forward to what God has for us. The sins we were involved in, we leave them behind. See, purging sin is not just in reference to an unrepentant sinner. It is speaking to us as, as individuals. The local church must remain as pure as possible, just like a loaf of bread. Without leaven, we must be a church without sin. Why? Why is this important? Because we are the representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth. Do we understand that? We are His representatives. Folks, Jesus is holy, amen? Jesus is righteous and He expects us to be as well. 
2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Folks, that is our job as we are here upon this earth. We are the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, we are to be representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Everywhere. In our home, in the schoolhouse, in our job house, out enjoying entertainment. Everywhere we go, we are to be a representative of, of Jesus Christ. The minute we sin, listen, we must purge it out before it spreads and infects the whole church. Verse 9 tells us that individual members are not to company uh, with unrepentant believers. We are not to get mixed up or associate with them in, intimately. Verse 11 says we are not to eat with them, which could refer to private hospitality or more likely the public observance of the Lord's Supper. You see, any way you slice it, church discipline is not popular and it's not easy, but it is important. If it is done properly, God can use it to convict and restore an erring brother or sister. Always remember when, when the excommunicated church member decides to repent and return to fellowship, which is apparently what happened with this man. He repented and, and they accepted him back into the church that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We should do nothing to hinder them. Nothing at all. When a brother or sister comes back to God's house, don't look at them and say, I know what you've been doing. Love them. If they have shown repentance for the sin in their life, love them and welcome them back home. Offer only love and forgiveness. Listen, we are not to isolate ourselves from the world, but listen to me, we must remain separated from the world and the sins of the world. For that is exactly what God has called us to do. That is what Paul speaks of in verses 9 through 13 of chapter 5 and also in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Listen what it says, "...be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers." For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Listen, we should not be intimately uh, friendly with unbelievers. It's a danger for us. It can pull us into sin. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And know this, if we are going to, to obey these commands, then we as individuals must purge any sin out of our lives. 
You see, purging sin is not just in reference, as I said, to the unrepentant believer being removed from the church membership. It is speaking to you and me as well. If you keep your life free from sin and unrighteousness and live holy, you can then make a judgment of someone else's sin. And they will not be able to say to you, well, maybe you need to look at yourself. Maybe you need to be concerned about what you are doing. If you are to be a church that does not proudly embrace, that does not accept and tolerate sin, then you must mourn over your sin. You must judge the sin and you must purge out the sin. Listen to this quote as we close. In virtually every error of church history, there have been people in the church who are convinced that the best way to win the world is by catering to worldly tastes. Such an approach has always been to the detriment of the gospel message. The only times the church has made any significant impact on the world are when the people of God have stood firm, refused to compromise, and boldly proclaimed the truth despite the world's hostility. When Christians have shrunk away from the task of confronting popular worldly delusions with unpopular biblical truths, the church has invariably lost influence and impotently blended into the world. Both Scripture and history attest to that fact. Folks, the question is, are we, will we stand for the truth of God's Word? I truly believe in the days ahead we are going to have multiple opportunities to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. To stand upon the foundation of the Word of God. I truly believe we're going to start seeing a separation among Christians and false professions of faith. Are we ready, church? Just look at the culture around you. Look where we are headed. See the things that are taking place. We must be ready for what lies ahead. Listen, don't be a lukewarm church. Listen to me. We're not fooling God. He knows what's taking place in the church. Amen? We can keep nothing from Jesus Christ. But always remember this, if you have messed up and fallen into sin, you can come back to Him. You can repent. You can turn to Jesus Christ and He will restore you into fellowship with Himself and His church. Amen? Listen, it's hard. Some things in God's Word are hard to do. But God wants us to do them nonetheless. We must do them. If we want to see the church of God continue and to continue faithfully, we must deal with sin when it comes about. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house today. Lord, we thank You for how Your Word speaks to our heart. 
I thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul is, is, is giving us an example of, of sin within, his, within your house and, and how we are to deal with it. Lord, we know it's not, a, it's not a pleasant thing. It's not fun to have to approach someone with sin in their life, but Lord, it is biblical and it is needed today. We are seeing all across this country, we are seeing sinful things taking place within God's house. We are seeing churches uh, that are accepting sinful behaviors within the church of God today. And it's not right. Lord, help us never to go that way. Help us never to go in that direction. Help us to stand strong for you. If there is a person here today that, is, that has erred, that has fallen away from you and, and, and is not in fellowship with you, I pray that you would convict that heart today, that they would come forward and get things right with you. If there is a lost uh, uh, one that's here today, man, woman, boy, or child that is here today, Lord, just draw them to you. Convict their hearts through your Holy Spirit. Convict them of the sin that is in their life and have them come to a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We just thank you again for the great opportunity of being your, in your house on this Lord's day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of invitation.